Real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. Today is May 6, 2020. Busy, busy, busy week, right? I mean, this month is pretty insane, okay? This month is going to be where, where, where the seeds that we've sowed are now beginning to bloom. And that's what's coming. People are starting to see the truth about the media, the truth about the geopolitics, and the truth about what's going on. If you remember, I said that Africa in the second half of this year will be coming to the forefront. The nation that has been kept in the dark, literally, is the one that's going to shine the light the brightest for us from their actions. Because throughout history... Suppression of the people has always caused a revolution. And a revolution has to be organized. See, chaotic revolutions end in bloodshed and in, uh, you know, uh, borders being redrawn. It's so important that we understand that. They are driving us to promote chaos. They are driving us to move on chaos. Driving us. You know, I went out on a limb and, you know, I gave you an exact date. And I've, and I've said this before. Though I can see the future and I can tell you where the timelines are, one left turn that was not calculated by a mass can shift those dates, but fixed points in time will still events, fixed events will always happen. It's so hard. It's so hard to show the world the truth by telling them by giving them to read because I see so many people. I mean, come on, how many times does something have to happen before you're like, okay, it's not a coincidence. How many times, you know, a, a, a lot of people don't seem to understand that it's through dialogue. You can show the world who someone really is. Put it that way. So, when the president brings someone near to him under his wing, promotes them, has conversation, you're like, what are you doing? Do you know? No, leave him. Because did you see what he did with the coronavirus task force? We were here talking about it two months ago. He's putting him in front and says, here you go. Here are your experts. Yeah, totally experts. Here you go. Now what did they do? They pulled their own pants down. So when you bring someone in your space, what do you do? You let them pull their own pants down. I think I like to do that too. I've, I've, I, you know, I'm very particular on who I bring on guests, guests that I adore and that I want to help. And as you can see with Roger Stone, we bought him 30 days and it's time to appeal. 
And then there's other guests that I'll have on just to show the world through their own words who they truly are, right? Their own words, because it's, it's, it's not you analyzing, it's them straight to you. And then you do the analysis as per my invitation to, um, Shiva, I've invited him. I also really want to get, um, uh, this amazing, you know, virologist on who's been speaking Tori for forever. I am completely, um, excited to see if I can actually get her on here because it will be the best thing ever to have someone that is able to speak out loud, to tell the world exactly what they have to say. How many times did I say, I went, I went to school with all these people. Why are all these doctors not talking? Why are they sitting there freaking patients out? Why are they abiding by these rules and regulations? What does that mean? Their education means absolutely nothing because either they forgot their education and they're just going with it and they're dumb or they choose to comply, right? And it's all about self-preservation again, uh, because uh, you know we've said this before. Self-preservation brings out the most ugliest part in people. Um, you know what's best for me, 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 me. Uh, not you know what's the right thing to do, even if I'm uncomfortable. Uh, so uh, this is. Um, this is what we're seeing. We're seeing who's the self-preservation, who's uncomfortable, who's not, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's coming now. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. Uh, it's, it's so interesting. So, you know, you can't tell people what the truth is because, you know, people will always talk themselves out of what is in front of them. Like yesterday, you know, me saying, hey, you know, the CARES Act. Oh, no, no, no. There's a fact check.org. Oh, no, no, no. There's this. Oh, no. Here's an explanation. And it's like, hold on. How many times have you seen the Cong Congress or Senate say, oh, you know what? We had submitted this bill, but we're just going to gut it, leave the title, and then replace it. How many times has that ever happened? Oh, yeah, well, maybe it was just easier. Why was it easier than to just start over and draft? Ah, ah. I'm just saying. So, you know, things have to come out the way they do and people need to be patient because every single time, oh, no one's going, hey, they are. You just, you, the thing is, you just can't, you can't just go in there with a lasso and say, I'm rounding you up because so-and-so on Twitter is getting upset and, you know, people are not liking this. Yes, there's a double standard. Yes, there's a lot going on. <laughs> Most of the people you follow that you see at Fox, at OAN, and at CBS, NBC, CNN, all of them, they're all there as actors and tools. They will sell you out faster than you can blink if that means that their position is secure. I mean, you're seeing that, no? Can you see that yet? Mm. Well, you're going to start seeing it a lot more and a lot clearer as the days draw near for Flynn, for Stone, and for the funeral. I'm just saying. Kim Jong-un is dead. Kim Jong-un is not dead. Kim Jong-un is dead. Kim Jong-un is a vegetable. No, he's not a vegetable. Yes, he is a vegetable. So confusing on purpose. Let it be and just see what 
happens. Just let's see what happens. Unifying Korea is a breath away. A breath away. Now, Scotus Gate came right on time. That was not, you know, something I told you guys yesterday. When the news comes in, just look at the news and be ready for it. This is what I was referring to. Now, you know, oh, she's sick. Is she sick? Is she really sick? Hospitalized with an infection, and it's not the time for that infection yet. Take a listen. Here's the Fox News alert we promised. Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg has been hospitalized once again at this hour. The 87-year-old justice suffered an infection apparently caused by a gallstone and has had to undergo a non-surgical treatment. The justice is expected to participate in Supreme Court oral arguments tomorrow, long distance from the hospital. Of course, we'll continue to monitor this story for developments. Ooh, so the day that everyone's supposed to be having you know, arguments, oral arguments over the phone that evening and the next day she gets suddenly sick and now she has to be at a hospital where there's HIPAA and all to participate from there. Are you getting one? The SCOTUS gate is going to be so big, so big. Because see, these oral arguments um, still require some form of surveillance and monitoring. I'm just going to put it like that. Okay. Uh, so let's leave it at that for now, for now, and then we'll, we'll get into more of it. So, um, we're seeing SCOTUS gate happen. It had already started previous to that. Uh, and, um, it's going to develop. Let's just, let's just park that for now. Just know that SCOTUS gate kicked off. And it's going to be wild. You think Spygate's crazy? You think this is... You've seen nothing yet. Some people look to the stars and ask, what if? Our job is to have an answer. We have to imagine what will be imagined. Plan for what's possible while it's still impossible. Maybe you weren't put here just to ask the questions. Maybe you were put here to be the answer. Maybe your purpose on this planet isn't on this planet. Space Force. So think about that for a second. Maybe your purpose on this planet isn't on this planet. So, you know, you got to think about it for a second. Think about that and take it as you will. Because it's May 6th. And the president is doing everything that he needs to be doing. But a lot of you will say, wait a minute, how is he doing everything he needs to be doing? We have YouTube censoring people. We have Facebook censoring people. We have Twitter now that will be warning you if you are posting things that aren't supposed to be, they aren't good for your thoughts. You might Say things you don't mean when it's a heated moment. So we're going to give you a chance to rethink your reply. You kidding? Wait a minute. So you're going to put us in timeout because you think we're having a heated moment? Encouraging people to rethink their behavior and rethink their language before posting? Because it's often in the heat of the moment. What? So now Twitter is going to be putting you in timeout. When you respond to things, see, I have friends, you know, friends, 
that, you know, sometimes I just wonder, like people do indeed say things in the heat of the moment, but I have friends that have said really hurtful things to me and they're like, Oh, you know, I'm just venting. It's like, dude, you don't say stuff like that. Like period. Like why insult someone? Why say something that, you know, someone's going to take offense to like, that's, that's, you know, everyone has to be thoughtful. If I say the F word to someone or I tell someone F off, I mean F off. But when I sit there and I'm, you know, at one point, you know, <laughs> you have to kind of question things, right? How they come in, right? How they come in, in the tangent that they come in. Oh, I'm trying to say something that I really can't say. It's like, you know, how, you know, we all want to know and ask for questions. Like I got denied my uh, FOIA request by the FBI, just so you know, because I tried to get information on an FBI investigation uh, that um, I knew existed from the news years ago. And, you know, the FBI denied me that information. Well, my FOIA was denied. So I have to be more specific. But I just wanted, I wanted them to answer it. I kid you not, I got three final responses. That has never happened before. Um, I guess I triggered something because I got another, see, I got two FOIA denial requests um, yesterday. And um, what's bizarre is I got another one um, today, which is super bizarre, um, which are final responses. And I think I just have to file it in a more craftier way, um, is from what my understanding, my minimal understanding is. I mean, I haven't really looked at it, but I, my question was, I wanted all the communications and notes pertaining to an investigation into the late Michael Hastings, who was an investigative journalist that was killed on June 18th, 2013. The investigation was opened around December 12th, December 2012 until close with his death. And it says that the records that I want are maintained in over 100 separate offices throughout the United States. Your request might, uh, must identify the specific United States Attorney's Office where you believe the records may be located. What? What? <sighs> so, I guess I have to do two requests now for that. Because I, I already know, you know, why this investigation was started. I already know um, why um, it was uh, put forward. <laughs> I already know. And I already know that the agent was Peter Strzok. So I already know this stuff. So I have to ask it. You know, I always ask questions. But the thing is, what I don't know, and now it blows my mind, is that there's other U.S. attorneys' office, and I'm thinking, who did John Brennan employ to try to get prosecutors, um, you know, on him. Who, um, who did he employ? That's the question. And that's where I'm at. I, I don't understand who he must have employed to get this done. So I'm a little bit, you know, taken back that I'm going to have to dig that deep. But it is what it is, right, guys? But I'll get the tangible documentation that I need. In the meantime, uh, speaking of um, rules and regulations, let's talk about um, NBC for a second. 
The psychotic hate Trump media mob, they're scrambling after a shakeup at NBC, NBC News sees soon-to-be former chairman Andy Luck is out. Trace Gallagher standing by live our West Coast newsroom with a report. Uh, wow. New York Attorney General Chris Matthews, Matt Lauer, Andy Luck, a lot of big names there. And Sean, we thought the departure of Andy Lack was the true bombshell here until investigative reporter Rich McHugh told Tucker Carlson that the New York Attorney General is investigating NBC News' litany of sexual harassment complaints while Lack was at the helm. Rich McHugh worked at NBC as Ronan Farrow's producer, and you'll recall it was Andy Lack who refused to air Farrow's expose on the sexual assault allegations against Harvey Weinstein, saying it wasn't fit for air. So Ronan Farrow took it to The New Yorker, and won a Pulitzer. It was also Andy Lack who decided the sexual misconduct allegations against Matt Lauer should be investigated by fellow NBC executives instead of outside investigators. NBC News told us it's not aware of any inquiry by the New York Attorney General, which is odd, considering former NBC correspondent and Fox News anchor Linda Vester says the New York AG's office interviewed her about the investigation three months ago. Sean. Uh, yeah, I tend to believe them. That's my take. All right, Trace Gallagher, we'll follow that story. So what's going on with NBC, you guys? What's going on with Comcast? Um, so we had talked about Comcast a while back in regards to their monopoly and conglomerate. Now, um, what is going on, the cover-up? I mean, ABC didn't get spanked like this, or did they? Could there be open investigations on that one? Do we have them going on at Fox as well? These are questions that people should be thinking of. These are questions. So, um... I want you guys to listen to live Senate questions that are happening um, right now and, and, and hear this out. Think, NBC had an investigation that has been opened up over half a year ago, but obviously most of you say nothing's happening, right? Because you don't see it. Uh, obviously, we had uh, CBS um, that, um, had concerns, uh, CBS, ABC that had concerns be raised, um, by people of the, you know, justice department, right? Um, so what you need to think of is, okay, if all of this is happening in the background, then what is it that we're really going to see here happen? And this is something that, um, <laughs> This is something that you're going to see play out very, very soon. I want you to listen to the questions carefully that are being posed to Judge Justin Walker. He was actually appointed by the president himself to the U.S. Court of Appeals, District of Columbia, last month. So he has to appear uh, before the Senate Judiciary Committee, uh, for, um, which is like a hearing, right? And now this guy actually sits on the U.S. District Court of Western uh, Kentucky, and he's going to be and he's moving into a really high bench. Now, this guy actually previously clerked for Kavanaugh, okay, um, while Kavanaugh was on the D.C. Circuit Court. Remember, and when Brett Kavanaugh was being, 
you know, dragged through mud by someone who didn't know a time, didn't know a place, didn't remember when, where, and how, but just said it happened, as opposed to the other side that, you know. Stop asking me questions about Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. He went to on television, this, this, this guy, Walker, Judge Walker, went on TV many, many times to say, hold on a second, like, this guy's a good guy, this guy's like this, this guy's like that. I just want you guys to, to know the context of who he is before I do this. Here we go. We also have other things to do necessary for the good of the nation, like filling judicial vacancies. We're getting comments throughout the country about the vacancies, how they're impacting the ability to deliver justice in various states, and we'll be as prompt to that as we possibly can. Uh, my Democratic colleagues uh, are requesting hearings on the effect of the virus in prisons, state and federal, and detention centers for immigration purposes, and we will try to work uh, together to have those hearings. I'm curious myself about the state of the play in our nation's prisons and our uh, immigration detention centers, so we'll work on that as quickly as we can. Hopefully next week we'll have a hearing about liability issues related to the virus. What can we do as a Congress to safely open, safely open up the, the country and minimize legal exposure for those who are trying to reopen the American economy? And that's a very important topic for me and many of us here. Today we're going to deal with the vacancy at the uh, D.C. Circuit Court. Uh, Justice <coughs> Mr. Walker, Judge Walker from Kentucky, has been nominated by the president to fill this vacancy. Uh, I think he's a highly qualified individual, and Senator McConnell will be submitting a written statement. To my colleagues, if it's okay, could we hear from Senator Paul, then each of you can make statements. Is that okay? Is that okay, Senator Paul, the, the floor is yours. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, for allowing me to introduce Judge Walker. I'm very pleased that President Trump reached outside the Beltway to New York bubble to elevate a judge who is committed to our Constitution and to be elevated now to the nation's second most important court. Judge Walker will be the first judge confirmed to the D.C. Circuit from outside the bubble since Thomas Griffith, the judge he is replacing, was confirmed 15 years ago. I was honored to recommend Judge Walker for the district court, and I was honored to recommend uh, Judge Walker now to the elevation to the D.C. Circuit Court. I was unable to be here for Judge Walker's hearing last year because I had to have urgent lung surgery. If I had been here, I would have told you how I met Judge Walker through my friend Mike Lee and how I was immediately impressed by his legal knowledge and critical thinking about the law. In Judge Walker's short time as a district judge, he has shown an unwavering fidelity to the Constitution. In early April, our nation was in the middle of a health crisis. Politicians around the country began clamoring uh, and claiming tremendous power over parts of our everyday life. While many in the public cheered them on, governors and mayors were seemingly in a race to see who could restrict their citizens' movements the most. Eventually, governments began to enact restrictions that prevented even the free exercise of religion. On the Friday before Easter, our governor ordered the state police to record the license plates of churchgoers on Easter so they could be forcibly quarantined. The mayor of our largest city banned churches from holding Easter services, including a drive through service where the worshipers would stay in their car. With the weekend looming, one church went to court and Judge Walker was assigned the case. 
The easy thing to do would have been to wait until the following week to hear the case, with Easter having already passed. Instead, Judge Walker saw such a clear violation of the First Amendment that he issued a rare Saturday order blocking the city from criminalizing Easter. I'm sure each of you have read this opinion in preparation for this hearing. If not, I commend it to you as it demonstrates the depth of his knowledge of the law and history. More importantly, it demonstrates his fidelity to our Constitution, even when it is hard and even in times of crisis. Judge Walker is just the kind of person we need on the bench. I proudly support him and urge you to swiftly send his nomination to the floor. Thank you very much, Senator Paul. Uh, Senator Feinstein, would you? Thank you very much. I will, Mr. Chairman. Thank you. I would like to begin by thanking all of the frontline workers who have spent untold hours responding to the COVID-19 pandemic, from doctors, nurses, first responders to grocery store workers, bus drivers, farm workers. These men and women have helped keep us safe and well. I, I know I speak for all of us when I simply say thank you. Today, the committee is moving forward with a hearing. With After the Supreme Court, this is the most important court in the country. Its rulings have national implications, including on issues such as health care, the powers of the executive branch, workplace, and environmental safeguards. In his short time on the bench, Judge Walker, just 37 years old, has had virtually none of the experience one would expect of a district court judge before elevation to the circuit. He has not presided over any bench or jury trials. He has written opinions in only 12 total cases. It's not surprising, then, that groups like the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights have opposed Judge Walker's nomination, partly because of his, quote, lack of experience, end quote, which, quote, paints a vivid picture of an individual who is unworthy of a lifetime appointment to the federal judiciary, end quote. More than 200 groups, including the Leadership Conference, NAACP, and National Council of Jewish Women, also oppose Judge Walker because of his record against expanding access to health care and against safeguards for the environment, consumers, and the workplace. Okay, so I just wanted you to hear, I want you to hear the rest, but I I, I just wanted to comment and tell you that Judge Walker is wearing uh, one of those masks that really don't help you. Um, (laughs) And his eyes are laughing. So they don't want him because he's too young. They don't want him because he doesn't see things the way they want him to. You know, remember, Feinstein got away with two murders. In its letter... Protect Our Care noted Judge Walker's statement that the Supreme Court's decision to uphold the Affordable Care Act was, quote, indefensible. That it was. It was unconstitutional. Letter signed by 53 groups, <clears throat> excuse me, expressed concern that Judge Walker's confirmation could, quote, exacerbate the health care crisis in this country. I will ask Judge Walker today about this record and whether he can fulfill the judicial standard of fairness and objectivity that we should expect from our federal bench. Thanks, Mr. Chairman. Thank you. Uh, Would you, Senator Durbin? 
Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman, for giving the opportunity to make an opening statement. When we heard that Senator McConnell was summoning us back to Washington, D.C. after five or six weeks where we were, most of us, sheltered in place at home, I was waiting to hear the agenda. I knew what America was focused on, a national emergency in the words of President Trump, a public health care crisis that we hear about every minute of every day that has literally changed the lives of so many people across America and as of this moment claimed at least 70,000 American lives. Whoa, whoa, Durbin's lying. Durbin, has he checked the CDC website? Because that number is way in half. See, we're going to stop it there. They don't like him. They don't want him. They can't stand him. They can't have him. He does not abide by their rules. They don't like him for that. Now, he was wearing the mask at the beginning, and then he's getting questions, and he's not wearing the mask when he's answering questions, which is like, then why are we wearing the mask? Why are we wearing this mask? So they had questions come in. Um, from video. I want you guys to listen to this. Give a thumbs up or a thumbs down to particular Supreme Court precedents. NFIB v. Sebelius is binding Supreme Court precedent. If I'm lucky enough to be confirmed to the D.C. Circuit, it will be binding on me. And in my current role as a district judge, it's binding on me absolutely. Okay, listen who's asking him this question. And you do understand that right now there are Americans that are depending on the Affordable Care Act. And the way I look at this is if none of this stuff is relevant that you did as a private citizen, you've only been a judge for six months. Oh, my gosh. That's Amy Klobuchar. And in your adult life, since you're 37, um, that is two to three percent of your work life. And so... In other words, 97% to 98% are off limits. I I don't really understand that. I think that's the only way we're going to figure out your views as we evaluate what kind of judge you would be. And I think another example of this is you provided the committee with a working draft of a law review article you wrote earlier this year uh, where you said that the Supreme Court um, will uh, be headed to reconsidering the Chevron Doctrine uh, which says the court should generally defer to reasonable interpretations, as you know, of agencies and things about protecting our drinking water, safe workplaces. Uh, so do you think that a court um, single judge is better positioned than an agency expert to interpret a rule on things, complicated issues of water safety? Yes, they are, because they look at the law side. You do the technical or stuff. On worker protection. Senator, the article that you're referring to describes and predicts what the Supreme Court has done in the past. It describes and where it might go, it predicts. And in fact, as I was writing that article, one of the predictions I made with regard to deference to agencies involved a case called Kaiser v. Wilkie. And when I started drafting the article, I predicted that the Supreme Court would address deference to agencies and perhaps do it in a, in a slightly uh, different way. And by the time I'd finished drafting the article, Kaiser had been decided. And the decision in Kaiser didn't overturn any precedent, 
but it did refine and in some ways limit uh, the precedent that was at issue there with regard to deference to agencies. And so to the first part of your question, I'm, I'm not in any way running away from the scholarship that I wrote as an academic or asking you to ignore it. I, I hope that you will, <laughs> I don't think it's been read very much until now, but if, if you do read it, I hope that you see that there's a rigor to the analysis and the research and the writing that reflects how I would approach every case, case by case, with an open mind, trying to look at things from all sides and trying to do uh, what good judges what good judges do, which is dive into an ex dive into an area and try to learn you know as what, much as I can about it. Judge Walker, but so the way I see this is about a third of the cases of the DC circuit are about agency appeals. And so it's a really important part of the work. Yeah, you're going to take away the power of these unappoint, unelected people that we in the Senate and the House appoint. How dare you? We need to put you in your place. You're not allowed to do all this stuff. No, no, no. Let's break to my favorite commercial. The forgotten men and women of our country will be forgotten no longer. The time for empty talk is over. Now arrives the hour of action. From this day forward, a new vision will govern our land. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. Every decision will be made to benefit American workers and American families. America will start winning again, winning like never before. I will fight for you with every breath in my body, and I will never, ever let you down. Do not allow anyone to tell you that it cannot be done. No challenge can match the heart and fight and spirit of America. We will not fail. Our country will thrive and prosper again. Your voice, your hopes, and your dreams will define our American destiny. When America is united, America is totally unstoppable. Hello, my fellow patriots. My name is Michael Flynn Jr., and I am the proud son of General Flynn. Your support of the last two years has been incredible and will never be forgotten. If you'd like to continue supporting General Flynn, you can donate to our Legal Defense Fund. Any donation is welcome. To donate, go to www.mikeflynndefensefund.org. Thank you, and God bless America. Hi, I'm Laura Loomer, and I'm running for Congress in Florida's 21st Congressional District. Wouldn't it be horrible if we lived in a nation where journalists were silenced just because they confronted the political and media elite? You might think that could never happen in America, but it did. And to me. For confronting people like Hillary Clinton on her corruption and Ilhan Omar for her ties to radical Islamic terror groups, I have been banned on pretty much every single social media platform. And if that doesn't sound extreme enough, I'm also banned on Uber and Lyft. I know, I cannot understand that last one either. When this all happened to me, I contacted the media and members of Congress. I asked them for help. I kept calling, I kept emailing, but I never received a reply. And that's when it hit me. I'm a well-known journalist who has the phone numbers of the most powerful people in politics and media, yet I couldn't get any assistance. What on earth would the average American do if the same thing happened to them? I realized then that if I wanted to see change, that I would need to run for office. 
The American people deserve representation that listens to and acts on their concerns. So here I am, running for Congress in Florida's 21st Congressional District, because the American people deserve a voice and a representative who, like President Trump, will keep the promises they make and speak up loudly and clearly for that silent majority. All right. Welcome back, everyone, uh, to the Tory Says Show. So I'm a little busy little bee today. Uh, I just wanted to talk about Feinstein a little bit, and this is why I left it there. You remember how I told you she got away with murder? You, We know how her driver was a spy for China, right? Now, what people need to understand is that San Francisco um, is a hotbed, right, for covert operations. And this is because it's um, where where its location is, you know, from air and sea and proximity. The bay there is uh, something that, um, remember, where did, where did Nancy Pelosi go? That's right. She went to Chinatown, right? If you remember that. Now, that is where most of the Russian espionage had happened and blah, blah, blah. But the Chinese one had already been there for a long time. Uh, you know, her, when she was in San Fran uh, working, you know, in the city, uh, people need to understand that, you know, the murders happened and she's always been working with Chinese. So why do I say this? So handlers are usually people that are married to you, right? Um, handlers, sometimes you know they're your handler, other times you don't. Handlers also just happen to live with you, i.e. Barack Hussein Obama and Valerie Jarrett. She was his in-home handler. Uh, she was the only woman that was in his house. Um, other ones are just um, in proximity to you. So they could be your driver. Uh, they could be your uh, maid. Uh, you know, uh, the cleaner that you have. They, they penetrate whatever need be. And it's usually something that's not coordinated from the country that's looking to spy on you. Uh, so the way espionage works, and I want to make it clear to people, is that say in D.C., they're like, hey, Tori, we need to keep tabs on, you know, prime minister so-and-so. Um, you know, you need to do this. That's not how it works. They decide, hey, Tori, you need to, uh, I don't know, um, let me pick something random so it doesn't even sound remotely. Um, ah, Tori, we need you in Turkey. There's a nunnery there, so we need to get you there. So what happens? Um, Tori suddenly has all this fake paperwork made up um, in a nunnery in, I don't know, Romania and the Romanian nunnery has, you know, someone within the Romanian church that says, yes, she's been here. They Photoshop some pictures and whatever, and they get the documentation. And then, you know, a nun from Turkey decides she wants to go to Romania. So in her place, I go. 
So that way I could keep tabs on the politician that lives, you know, a block over from the nunnery, uh, you know, by going out and about and befriending people like the, uh, you know, the 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 grocery store owner or the baker and then you know i get to be friends with them and invite them to the nunnery and it's all love and and you know we're preaching god here i know you're muslims we love you come eat blah 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 and then it's like oh you know he this guy always gets this bread and no 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 and then when the signal is to take out i get message back yo he always gets this bread for breakfast and suddenly that bread is laced with rat poison i'm just saying I'm just saying. This is just an example. This is how you do it. Many, many steps removed, but the coordination of getting messages back, of keeping tabs, of getting, I would not be, you know, emailing someone in DC. No, uh, the nunnery would have communications obviously with the embassy of Romania. And then the Romanian embassy would have communications with the U S embassy. And then they'd all trade information. This is the methods, how they work. You know, I'm, I'm explaining this. So when Feinstein is under handling of China, it's all coordinated through the embassy. Now, you can't say that the embassy doesn't have relations with the city because they do. It's an embassy. It's their land, Chinese land, you know, Romanian land, French land, whatever consulate's there. It's their property there. And they have to cooperate with the city. So you can't blame them, right, for talking with them. So how do we know that, you know, uh, that this, you know, uh, Chinese spy didn't get anything? Oh, well, we don't know. It's like, it could be like this. It could be. Guys, if you're somebody's driver, you know where they're going, who they're meeting with, and you hear conversations in the car. Not only that, you get to give them their water bottles. You get access to their luggage. You get, come on, man. We don't know if he transported it was sales. Now, are you going to tell me that, um, oh, it wasn't Feinstein's fault. She was totally innocent on this. Then explain property purchases. So I'm going to leave it at that. I'm going to leave it at that because this all goes back to her time in the city. And it all goes back to a cold case we should be bringing. So, you know, the only way that someone can actually um, communicate in an effective way is by having, you know, these contacts. So I've talked about Feinstein and I've re referred to the murders when she was in office as a city. I told you about the connections and how we work with local embassies and how embassies work with us. It's up to you to just get what I'm trying to say without saying it. But, you know, that'll come out. I mean, cold case Joe NBC. We got cold case Senator Feinstein. Remember, Feinstein, whose handler-ish uh, tactics with Daniel J. Jones. Remember Daniel J. Jones, who wrote the whistleblower report for the Ukraine thing. The one who helped facilitate that Dr. Blase Ford thing. The one that has a huge, huge, huge stack of information pertaining to our intelligence community. That Daniel J. Jones was under her purview. Tell me again why she was in the intelligence committee so long. No term limits. 
with unequivocal access to everything and everyone that is clandestine. You know, but again, but again, it's not how it works. It's not how they are able to get things done because good people are smarter than evil people. Evil people are just bulked. I'm going to play a video for you quickly. Also, to the Bay Area Council and the many California businesses and economic development organizations that have made this important private-public partnership possible. And thank you to our many partners and friends in China for your strong commitment to growing the economic and cultural ties between our two great countries. I'm especially pleased that California's first trade office has its home in Shanghai. And I have a very special connection with Shanghai. As mayor of San Francisco a long time ago, I had the honor of establishing a sister city relationship with Shanghai. It was the first sister city relationship between a United States and a Chinese city. And to this very day, I remember Mayor Wang Daohan very well, and Zhang Zemin and Mayor Zhu Rongji, two of which, both Zhang and Zhu, became uh, president and premier, respectively, of the country. The relationship, though, yielded tremendous economic and cultural benefits, and that's been true over the past 30 years. I know this new office will build on the powerful and unique partnership between California and China. So thank you again as you make this the century of the Pacific. Ha! Remember, we played this clip, when was it? 2018, right? Anyway, uh, that's where I was just getting my feet wet for you guys, right? And I've told you about Feinstein and that she's going to be giving it, but it's not her time yet. Her time's coming, but it's not her time yet. First, we need to ensure that, you know, everything is out in the open and the people can actually see. We need to get that sleep out of your eye so people can focus. Uh, And and this is how you're going to see it. Once that sleep is out of your eye. Okay. So Feinstein, (laughs) you guys know I have a certain thing about her, but this is where the people are going to start to see things. We're seeing the cover-ups, right? Cover-ups that are happening for this coronavirus. We're seeing it. We're seeing it. We're seeing doctors finally, something that I said months ago, Pulling out their education saying, well, stop, 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 stop. Okay, this doesn't make sense. This is not how, how biology works. This isn't how things happen. And this isn't doing any good. And people are starting to come out and they're labeling these people that have decades of education under their belt as insane. So the idiot on CNN knows a lot more than someone that has written papers, that has run studies, that has run these tests, that's telling you it's all BS, right? And they're all pushing the who. They're all pushing the global narrative. And now we have the social media companies coming in. Wait a minute. If you say something that you're not aligning with the crown or the who, you're not allowed to talk about it. This is a problem. We need to put you in a box. And Twitter, obviously, is going to tell you to think twice before you tweet it. So I think it's... it's um, Something that I wanted to play for you is 
Uh, Millie Weaver actually is not putting her things on YouTube anymore. She's putting them on her website. But I wanted um, to play for you a um, specific portion of this video that she put together and she uh, put up on her site yesterday. And, you know, she realized she she was shocked that she has been throttled uh, in regards to her uh, channel and what she can put out there. Obviously, she stayed away from uh, calling out uh, COVID and putting things. But remember, it was in March where me and Millie got together. And remember, we posted it. What was that? I think it was like March 22nd, but we had taped it like... I think it was like the 15th, 17th or something like that. And I want you guys to listen to this. Social media platforms are banning people left and right for talking about the coronavirus pandemic. YouTube is adapting to coronavirus. I want to make sure you understand what's behind all the updates you've been seeing. Creators might see a temporary increase in video removals, unfortunately, including some that may not violate any policies. Well, mostly conservatives. The mainstream media has a free pass. We're using our homepage to direct millions of daily viewers to official websites. They include the World Health Organization, the Centers for Disease Control, and other authoritative organizations around the world. YouTube recently put out a statement that they have clear policies prohibiting any content that disputes the existence and transmission of COVID-19 as described by the World Health Organization and the NHS. Wait a minute. So here we have that, the you know, in Tanzania, the president actually gave them uh, samples with goat and pawpaw fruit and it came back and other non-human samples to send them off. And all of them came back COVID positive. So because the who said they were COVID positive, we're supposed to say, yep, goats, fruit, all oh, coronavirus, all oh, we're going to die. Are you listening Right. So now YouTube says if you denounce authoritative, okay, the people that we say have authority, this is how they bully you. Remember the Milgram experiment. We know best. Shut up. You listen and obey. Shut up. That's their message. So if the World Health Organization and the National Health Service of the United Kingdom say something, you must obey. This is the only way it's going to go. Did you catch that? As described by the World Health Organization and the NHS. Which description? So you mean when they said there was no human-to-human transmission or when their numbers were really inflated? When did the World Health Organization become the arbiter of free speech? YouTube has been throttling and demonetizing my content ever since the coronavirus pandemic. What's crazy is that I've even avoided video reports discussing the coronavirus pandemic, with the exception of covering Orwellian technologies the establishment wants to push all in the name of tracking the coronavirus pandemic. One video in particular, COVID-19. COVID-19 deep state AI technocracy takeover plan revealed. That's the one that um, uh, Millie and I recorded. I think it was like March 17th, wait, 15th, 16th, 17th, I think March 17th and, or maybe earlier than that. And it was published on March 22nd. Deep state AI technocracy takeover plan revealed was singled out for manual reviews by moderators more than once. 
Then, after I posted the video report, Espionage Unmasked, Reality Hackers Revealed, it became clear what the moderators didn't like. So what was discussed in these video reports that was so controversial that YouTube had to downrank them and demonetize them? The World Health Organization's Global Influenza Surveillance and Response System has been continuously monitoring which viruses are circulating and where. We're able to analyze vast amounts of online data to essentially detect infectious disease outbreaks in ways that we weren't able to before. We also now can access data on billions of people and their movements across the planet. You know, cloud mobile databases that would allow us to track thousands of people and do that efficiently. That information uh, can be used to uh, enable enhanced tracking. They could collect everything they know about me, like even school records, anything they could find. And that's part of this like medical record stuff where they, they want to put all of our medical records up into the digital world. With all that information, it's being inputted into an AI system that has your name on it to predict your movements in the future. Mm -hmm. Why would they want to build an AI system, an AI identity for each person? Why would they want to do that? Control. Too many so this is it, guys. It's all about control. Does coronavirus exist? Of course. Your cat has coronavirus, your dog has coronavirus, and we know cows have coronavirus. So coronavirus exists. It does not not exist. But is the coronavirus exactly as lethal as they say? Is it necessary that we, um, you know, respond in the way we have been responding by being locked in our homes? That and more after this short break. Real news. Welcome, everyone. Welcome back to the Tory Says Show. I'm your host, Tory. So we went from China to coronavirus to world surveillance. Guys, I, I can't explain to you how busy I've been lately um, putting things together. Uh you know, digital soldiers never get a rest. But um, I, I want you guys to know that this isn't something new. This talking about vaccines, RNA transcription, using vector cells, kind of like Dr. Judy was saying about mouse brains and this brains and doggies. Maybe this is why we have canine coronavirus. I'm just saying. Uh, but this isn't the first time. I, I, I think it was back in 2017. I was on the Hagman report and I kind of talked about it too on how they're tracking you and how they're interested in genetics and how, you know, this is all playing out and what they, this I, I, I talked about a long, long time ago. And, um, you know, it's not the first time that I've been putting out the word of, hey, this is happening, wake up, hey, this is happening, wake up. We're at a point right now, you guys, where there is no return. If We're either going forward or we're just going to collapse. That's, that's basically where we're at. 
Because, you know, I, I feel bad for China. I do. I do. Because this nation was taken over in the 40s. We created the Communist Party, right? This empire. We used their, you know, cultural need, right, <laughs> for domination and weaponized it against them. And we, I mean, the whole world. <laughs> it's not you and me. It's just our government at the time. And it's, it's, it's coming out to be pretty, pretty odd. You know, China is lacking trans is, is not transparent about what happened. Okay. Let's, let's be clear on this. And I'm going to play a little bit of Pompeo who was on air about an hour and a half ago talking about this two hours ago, whatever, where he said, you know, they're not being forthcoming. And, and, and they said a lot of things in change because at first they thought it was the United States because of the Harvard professor and, you know, uh, you know, unbeknownst to many, uh, most of these elitist uh, universities, Stanford, UC, uh, Davis, uh, Georgetown, uh, Yale, Harvard, we can go down the list. Um, the majority of them are agents of, uh, you know, agencies. Um, and they work with agencies. I mean, remember Stephen Halper, Miss Food. Come on, guys. Because these are the ones that people don't think. And, you know, they have a good guys. I'm just going to believe it as such. So dumb. Anyway, I'm rolling my eyes. I don't know if you can hear that. <laughs> but they're really rolling. So far back, I could see my brain. Okay. So China came out with that first. That it was, oh, it was the U.S. Army. Then they changed it. And they said it was the EU. And then they, were, and then they went silent. And then we have people saying, oh, it's wet markets. Come on, man. They've been eating bats for 4,000 years. And it just happened. Oh, but they were investigating bats. They have bombarded us with so much rubbish. It is ridiculous. Here's what happened. Tori's going to tell you what happened. So they piloted these new vaccines, uh, just a few, you know, for their new rollout for flu, as they do, they mandate all these injections to their, uh, you, you know, to their citizens, uh, because that's the way it is. They've been cooperating with the who on developing these vaccinations and whatever. So they got the first batch with all of these, uh, you know, it's kind of like I've, I told uh, one of my, f uh, an old friend of mine, um, had cut his finger and went to the hospital and I went to see him quickly, uh, with my, you know, we were in the area, it was bleeding, it was horrible. And, and I looked at it and I was like, well, I mean, you could use stitches, but a little bit of glue will be fine. So in comes the nurse with, uh, you know, a tennis shot and the tennis shot is a triple shot, three in one. And I was like, stop. And there she is barcoding. And I was like, tell her that you want just the tennis shot. And she was like, well, we're, we are giving him. I said, no, you're giving him a triple shot. You need to take that back. He doesn't need whooping cough, right? He doesn't need all that other stuff. He just wants the tetanus shot against the bacteria that causes a tetanus infection. And she looks at me and she's like, well, this is what he's getting. And I said, be firm because I can't say this for you. You're just my friend. I'm not really. And his wife was right there. And I was like, yo, tell him to ask for just that. Man, they made it as difficult as possible. He said, I want that. And she was like, are you sure? Because this is the same thing. It, it just has extra stuff to predict. No, I just want that. See, this is what they do. They create this all-inclusive in blah, blah, blah. China, unfortunately, you know, uses their, um, their citizens, and depending on the casty type, uh, to pilot things, just like we do. 
their cohorts within the United States. Uh, the vaccine that you will get at your Medicaid-only clinic uh, for those that don't have much money uh, to the hospital, depending on your age, you know, or whatever clinic or status you have or what insurance you present is going to be way different than, you know, the next guy. So a vaccine that I would get, you know, at the VA is not the same vaccine you will get at your community clinic. Different cohorts. Cohorts are like groups that you study. So China did this, and this is why it happened. Um, I sent a very specific question to the governor of North Dakota. I want you guys to look at this very carefully. Almost every single person that has claimed to have COVID-19 has had influenza B. Influenza B at first. Influenza B, I repeat, influenza B. And this is key because the people that have exasperated uh, symptoms that they say are COVID-19 are the ones that had gotten vaccinations for influenza B this year. Again, right? And so it's really important that, that this is, that I stress this to you because I don't think people understand just how extraordinary this warfare is with people. I want you to listen to Tori's story and she can tell you how she found out that she may, well, now they're telling her she has COVID-19. Take a listen. All right. Last week, a viewer reached out to me and sent me a Facebook post. I want to I want to share with you the full post here just to give you some full context of what we're going to be talking about in a moment, because it is fascinating. Hopefully you can read this at home. But Kristen Muller, the mom here, said two months ago, almost to the day, this was last week, Tori, her daughter, got very sick. They're going to join us here in a moment. She was seen at UND Campus Medical, then sent to Altru Hospital where she was tested for influenza B because her test came back positive. She was also told she had pleurisy that affects your lungs. You're breathing and makes you take very shallow breaths, also very painful. She came home for a week to rest, then went back to the doctor after seven days of being very ill. They tested her for influenza A and it came back negative. She was put on more steroids, needed rest. Keep in mind, this was two months ago. Then two weeks ago, she was contacted by her college. They told her to call and have her test results looked at again. Altru Hospital in Grand Forks contacted Tori today to tell her she had coronavirus. She tested positive for the IgG antibodies that are the indicator for COVID-19. She was sick for four days before she went to the doctor and was sick about a total of 12 days after her doctor visits. Nobody else in the house got it, which is going to be part of our conversation. Thank God she recovered at home. I just want to say this started long before they even knew it was already there. So joining us now on our 702 Communications line is Tori and Kristen. To both of you, thanks so much for joining us. Tori, thank God you are, from what you've told me last week, A-OK. -okay. And Tori, if you don't mind just sort of adding some more context to your mom's Facebook post and sort of fill in some of the blanks there, please. Yes. Well, basically on um, a Monday after a weekend that I had spent kind of out and about and everything, I started feeling super sick. And I was like really tired and I was noticing that when I was taking breaths, um, it was hurting my lungs, especially if I would like breathe in super deep. Um, and then the week started, I went to class. Then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I was just getting worse and worse. I couldn't even walk to class barely. If it was like a two minute walk, I would have trouble. And every single time I would breathe, it would hurt. And I was just like, oh, maybe it's cause it's super cold out or whatever. Um, and then on Friday, I decided to go in because I thought maybe I had influenza, but my influenza test came back positive 
And then they put me on Tamiflu and it never went away. Didn't do anything. So I got sent home because the campus thought I had influenza and they didn't want me on campus. So I came back to Fargo, stayed here for a week and like part of a weekend. And then I went back to Grand Forks and got retested because I told them that my influenza or my Tamiflu didn't work because my influenza hadn't went away. And then they diagnosed me with an unknown respiratory illness, basically. And then I got sent to Altru and they told me that my lungs um, indicated that I had pleurisy, which is basically um, like an infection on the outer lining of your lungs. And it causes um, tr like trouble breathing, shortness of breath, and like um, really sharp pain when you're breathing in and out. So... Basically, they just said I had pleurisy and that they would put me on steroids and anti-inflammatories to see if my symptoms would get better, which they did. But overall, it took probably about 16 days for me to feel wow. to a point that I could go out in public again. Mom, you must have just been going, what in the world is going on? So this is for both of you. When you first initially got sick, Tori, had either one of you ever heard of this COVID-19 or coronavirus at that time? Well, we had heard about it being overseas but they hadn't really emphasized it in america yet so i think this was probably around the time that it was really big in china or italy but it wasn't really a thing in america especially because this was three weeks before spring break which is when like our spring break was around march 14th and that's when it started like universities started canceling schools and stuff wow kristen what really jumped out to me in your post was the fact that you said hey we were taking care of her she was at home but nobody else in the family got it and we and we keep hearing and look i don't want to have any false pretenses here but we keep hearing about how contagious this is and to be fair i know of another family that all seven people have it so what what did you guys do that allowed nobody else in the family to get it do you think yeah um well for me i got to back up just a little bit because three years prior i had had influenza b and it was awful i had it really bad and when i had traveled to arizona and then got sick on my vacation so when she tested positive for influenza B, I had a big dish towel. I masked myself. I had gloves on when I cleaned her bathroom, which I did two to three times a day. So I already took precautions because I literally did not want to get sick again like that, like I did. So I don't know whether that's what it was. Um, and we, we already quarantined her to her bedroom and her bathroom, and that was it. She didn't come out. We delivered meals right to her room and said, you know, here's what you get to eat. And because she never lost her appetite the whole time. She was able to eat even when she had a fever and stuff. Um, wow. So we just took her her meals and we just held a towel over our face. And and so I don't know. I'm not saying I did that right because I did ride in the car with her and stuff prior to knowing what exactly she had. But and I didn't have a mask on at that time. So I think it honestly was just keeping her quarantined and then me masking and wearing gloves. And then I cleaned light switches, door handles, the bathroom two to three times a day. And I didn't let her out. It's not really nice to say, but. <laughs> no, but I mean. We knew. <laughs> I was going to say, you sound like a genius now, considering what all yeah. the doctors and scientists <laughs> are saying. Right? So, yeah. um, so how long did you ever quarantine for? Was it like a week, two weeks or? Oh, it was, it was a little bit more than a week. Wow. Yeah. The one other thing that I want to hear from, from both of you, and, and maybe Tori will start with you, but now that you went back to get tested, what I'm curious is, because actually Governor Burgum talked a little bit about the antibody test today. So walk us through, All True called you, or you indeed dead and said, hey, come back and get a 
antibody test. So if you can answer that, and then now that you found out you've got it, are you looking at, for example, Senator Amy Klobuchar's husband is now donating plasma to maybe help other people. Have they asked you about that? Are you doing that? So um, basically, when I came back home from UND for spring break, um, this whole COVID-19 thing started and everybody in our house kind of started talking about like, Tori, I think you had coronavirus. And it was at first, it was like a joke between me and my brother. And he started telling all his friends not to come over because I had Corona. (laughs) But at first it was a joke. And then we realized that I might actually have had it. So, um, my mom asked me to reach out to student health or all true to see if there was anything that they could do to see if, um, like they could go back to my previous test, my nasal swab or my blood work. Blood work. And they said that at that time there was nothing that they could do. And then a few weeks later, probably two weeks later, which would have been like last week, the antibody testing came out and then they actually reached out to me and said, now that this antibody testing has come out, there's like a test that will see if you have, if you had it previously. And then it came back that I had developed the IgG antibodies, which indicates that you previously had coronavirus and now your body developed the antibodies against it. And is anybody talking to you about, and have you thought about donating your plasma at all? Is there any conversations around at this point? Yeah, there has been. Um, I've had a couple of people reach out to me and like send me links or stuff to articles saying that I should go donate because there's a lot of people who um, need the plasma right now. I actually had someone from Sanford reach out to and they, she said that it would be an easy way to save lives right now. So I'll definitely consider doing that and I plan on doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So let me give you the dangers on this and the positive. So you heard it from herself. It was influenza B. Now, why did she get it and not the other people in the household? I don't care how many towels you put over your face. Um, and like she said, she wasn't careful. Why didn't the mother have it? She claimed that three years earlier she had a bout of influenza B. Again, cohorts. Tori was a student at UND. At the universities, they force uh, students to have all their vaccinations and they have flu vaccination parties. Could be that she was part of a specific cohort. Who knows? But here's where the danger comes in with the plasma. It wasn't uh, until a few years ago that in Singapore and China, they've found a way to turn skin cells and other cells of your body into blood cells. And they've done this in mice. Now, they say that they have not tested that in humans. Are you listening? Now, what is the purpose of turning skin cells into blood cells? Because this is going to come on the more controversial topic of adrenochrome uh, at some point that we'll talk about. But um, you can actually take another cell and turn it into another type of cell. And, And this is because you harvest the pluripotent cells talked about pluripotent cells before, and those are cells that are not nonspecific and they can shift and morph into something else. Now, this is important. When you take someone's blood or plasma, I want you to know that their DNA will always be in your body. It is a signature that is unique to every single person. So, you know, whenever I had surgery, I would make sure that either uh, because my blood type is so rare that I had pre-donated blood for myself. 
and not to receive from someone else. Now, can I trust that? Not really, but I have to because it's that rare. But um, I remember one surgery, I had to have um, blood uh, directly transferred from my father uh, who had the same, you know, blood type or that was benign to me. I still had to get um, some sort of medication because I lack certain antibodies that he still had. Even though I'm O negative, I'm like O negative to the to the power, whatever. So it, he did it direct. And, and this is a man that had cancer and, and whatever, but it was my father. And I knew I already had his DNA, so it wouldn't be creepy. And for all of you that have gotten blood transfusions before, I know that I had one don't know who the donor was. I wasn't really awake when they gave it to me, but I had signed off. Uh, they needed to give me somebody else's because I had lost a lot of my own blood. Like there wasn't enough <laughs> because, you know, I had only donated six units. I needed more than that. It was pretty bad. And um, so, you know, you carry that person's DNA. The reason I say this is, is antibodies as well that are created by someone else. The plasma is that clear fluid that you can separate from the blood has all these antibodies in there floating around. I'm just going to try to make it as uh, simple as possible. Um, but the transfusion of, uh, of plasma is even more, I would have to say invasive in regards to your, uh, body's DNA than regular blood transfusions because it's interesting how they want to harvest all of this and supposedly share it, how Amy Klobuchar's husband is wanting to share it because they're saying, well, these people have been cured and they went through it and they have these antibodies. So now we want to give these antibodies to everyone else. The thing is having an antibody for something that you haven't been infected with is a problem too. Because why would you need this, you know, antibody if your body doesn't know what to do with it? See, antibodies are created by your body to fight things that they went to school for. And I'll explain the way in, in, in simple forms. Um, I get a cut. I get an infection. My first line of defense are my B cells. B as in boy. They come in, picture them like natives with like flaps to cover their private parts and swords, right? Totally savage. They just go in there, kamikaze, they die and they take no prisoners. In the meantime, there are these sneaky little dorks that are called T-cells and they come in and they're like, yo, what's this? Oh, I can't work because I've never seen this before. So as those charge in, they realize that they don't recognize what it is they're fighting. So they take what they can with them and then they go to your spleen and they like hang out and they go to school. And so they train to fight it. This is why a flu um, is, a, a, you know, and a cold is fought and it takes time to go because the longer they have to study it, it's like they go in with that information, hang out in the spleen, picture them on a desk. They're like, Oh, what's this? Let's check it out. And then they go and then they're like, well, it worked a little bit, but not so much. They come back. And this is how you train your T cells because it's a learned immunity, learned immunity, right? Learned. So this is why it takes a while. So if you get um, IgGs, antibodies, uh, floating around to recognize that strain of coronavirus, your T cells, though, won't recognize it. They'll 
probably attack the antibody, probably try to learn from there's so many probable, probable, probable. What it does is, is that your DNA has officially changed to whatever it was that let the person get infected and to have the antibodies for it, which makes it what? More probable that you will not be immune to any other version of it because your body will not learn as fast. It'll be like, oh, look, I got this. I'm going to go full speed ahead. Why isn't it working? By the time your body figures out why isn't it working, I'm driving up the temperature with fever to kill it. I'm sending people back to the spleen to learn and they're coming and it's not working. You're dead. So in essence, by borrowing right? That, you know, information of those IDDs, it makes you more vulnerable when it's supposed to help you. And, you know, think about it in that layman sense. It makes sense, right? And so, um, take it with caution. Uh, I know that the most of this, you know, donation or, and uh, recognition is not so much for the IGDs, but to see how they can tweak and see how things can be fixed. All of us that have been exposed to this virus have those antibodies and they're specific for our bodies, not for yours. My IGDs probably are not compatible with yours, but they'll train it to identify my specific version of the virus or whatever I was exposed to, which is totally personal, right? It's personified. Going back to their whole uh, spiel of getting our medical records and creating um, personalized medicine, right? This is so key because I know it sounds a little bit too scary, but you know, when you have a government that doesn't fear you, this should be something that you're like, well, that could happen. And what is that that could happen? Well, if they have your DNA fingerprint, which is completely unique to you, well, maybe next time you go in to get that metformin, that, you know, vasopressin, whatever you need, it could be tailored enough just for your genetic code to eliminate you. I'm just saying. See you all in a bit. The forgotten men and women of our country will be forgotten no longer. The time for empty talk is over. Now arrives the hour of action. From this day forward, a new vision will govern our land. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. Every decision will be made to benefit American workers and American families. America will start winning again, winning like never before. I will fight for you with every breath in my body, and I will never, ever let you down. Do not allow anyone to tell you that it cannot be done. No challenge can match the heart and fight and spirit of America. We will not fail. Our country will thrive and prosper again. Your voice, your hopes, and your dreams will define our American destiny. When America is united, America is totally unstoppable. (laughs) 
Hello, my fellow patriots. My name is Michael Flynn Jr., and I am the proud son of General Flynn. Your support of the last two years has been incredible and will never be forgotten. If you'd like to continue supporting General Flynn, you can donate to our Legal Defense Fund. Any donation is welcome. To donate, go to www.mikeflynndefensefund.org. Thank you, and God bless America. Hi, I'm Laura Loomer, and I'm running for Congress in Florida's 21st Congressional District. Wouldn't it be horrible if we lived in a nation where journalists were silenced just because they confronted the political and media elite? You might think that could never happen in America, but it did. And to me. For confronting people like Hillary Clinton on her corruption and Ilhan Omar for her ties to radical Islamic terror groups, I have been banned on pretty much every single social media platform. And if that doesn't sound extreme enough, I'm also banned on Uber and Lyft. I know, I cannot understand that last one either. When this all happened to me, I contacted the media and members of Congress. I asked them for help. I kept calling, I kept emailing, but I never received a reply. And that's when it hit me. I'm a well-known journalist who has the phone numbers of the most powerful people in politics and media, yet I couldn't get any assistance. What on earth would the average American do if the same thing happened to them? I realized then that if I wanted to see change, that I would need to run for office. The American people deserve representation that listens to and acts on their concerns. So here I am, running for Congress in Florida's 21st Congressional District, because the American people deserve a voice and a representative who, like President Trump, will keep the promises they make and speak up loudly and clearly for that silent majority. All right. So welcome back, everyone. So where are we going like this week? Calm down. Our local stuff is dealing. It's happening. But in order for it to happen, we have to use the biggest and the most horrendous, uh, you know, things that you could think about. And that's being duped. And um, what's exciting is that just a few minutes ago, James O'Keefe released this. Remember, how we were here on air together over two months ago saying, well, why aren't the other nurses and doctors freaking owning up to this crap? Why aren't they saying this is ridiculous? It's not true because they're all complacent. They love the applause. Oh my gosh, look at me. Like I'm working and I'm totally on the front lines. It's that hero complex. You know, everybody has an ego. Everybody's got a price and that's the problem. Everybody's got a price and they're willing to do the hours and comply and say, as long as they get to be the hero of the day. I mean, everyone's saying it. Look at their disgusting TikTok videos. Come on, man. I've been on the front lines before, both in a hospital and not. And I've never, ever said, somebody love me, show me. They're killing patients. They're letting them die. I mean, they do it on a regular day. Now it's just worse. Take a listen to this. You're telling me you're 100% certain that CBS News, CBS News Corporation, National, staged a fake event. They faked the news. They faked the reality and broadcasted that to all of their audience last Friday on CBS This Morning. 100%, absolutely. 
Only six states have reported more cases than Michigan, but fewer than 2% of its people have been tested for the virus. In our series on the state of coronavirus testing, Adriana Diaz shows how Michigan is trying to improve a system that has failed some of its people. But the governor says testing above all else will help determine when to fully reopen. And, uh, apparently, the news crew wanted more people in the line because they knew it was scheduled. Well, we knew they, they were coming. We had no clue that we were going to have to, like, do face patients. Gotcha. Did she tell you guys, like, hey, you're not actually getting tested? Yeah. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, she did. She just, she just, well, just to make it look busy for the news because they were right there and watching. Gotcha. That's crazy. Well, I didn't see you guys do the swab at all. I just saw you talking yeah. with them. And then I was talking with you the other girl. It. Yeah. There were a couple of real patients, which made it worse. They probably just wanted it to look busy. <laughs> it's my guess. Is this the the fake line? Yes. Yep. That's it. So, so the people on the cars are are not patients. Majority of them. I do know um, from talking with the testers that that one one of them, one or two of them, uh, were real patients, which added to their frustration because this line sat there for a while uh, so they could organize the shot. So they, they made a, a, a line of cars with, with, with medical personnel on the cars as opposed to patients. Correct. And the viewer does not know that. Correct. You shouldn't be afraid to say the truth um, because in the end, you know, truth always wins. In the end, the truth always wins. So they've been staging things. Remember that video of that lady who caught them trying to stage some protest and had a fake car with a Trump sign uh, with a Trump flag on it and some guy in scrubs holding it. And he was a reporter, not even a doctor. I mean, with masks, they could pretend to be anybody. And how they're telling people you can't come into the hospitals because they're busy making TikTok videos and letting patients die because if they die, they make money. You know, he's homeless. I mean, it's better that he just dies anyway. I mean, he doesn't deserve health care. That's it. This is where we're at. So, again, I go back to the, you know, I'm ashamed. I've got friends. We went to med school together, man. Like, all of you are sitting there pushing this coronavirus. Like, what the? Why? Why? Why, why? why not say the truth? Seems a little bit fishy. Or did you forget what you were taught? It's so scary to know that they would be so complacent. But then we circle back to the Milgram experiment, right? I'll tell you, you know, lots of people that are in uh, hospital settings are scared to, um, I would say, come forward and say things because... (laughs) They can't. I mean, I was even taught. I remember when I was doing rounds, which is, uh, you know, a course that I took where you would have to learn how uh, to triage a patient in the ER, right? So we were we were told that every single time that we triage the patient, we're supposed to ask them about their vaccinations, and uh, you know, we're supposed to do everything we can uh, to give them vaccines that they might not have. So if a flu vaccine is not registered, or if they're over sixty five of pneumonia, that we're supposed to give it to them. And I said, well, why would I ask them that? They're here for like whatever pain they're here for. That's what I need to focus on. Yeah, but you know, your 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 NPI number will you know be flagged if you're not um um 
what is it? Uh, if you're not giving vaccines to patients that don't have them, what, 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 what? So they're training them out of the box, all the physicians to do so. It's, it's pretty incredible, right? So I just wanted to say this is constantly happening uh, without the coronavirus, this push, this control over our medical personnel. And the fact that none of them are brave enough to speak up and say, you know, this is all BS. Uh, this isn't how it is. This isn't how we get better. Uh, you know, medicine has taught us it's this way. Uh, you know, we need to remember that this isn't now it's just amplified. This isn't now it happened before they've been training for this. This has been there for a long, long time. Now, um, in regards to coronavirus, I know that everybody, everybody wants to fire Fauci. Everybody wants to fire Burks. Everybody. No, you don't. I've said this, leave them alone. They're going to be testifying. We're already looking into things. Everything will come to light. The only way you get things to come to light is by making them pull their pants down. Now, I've made the error thinking that in a smaller setting, you know, like a smaller, like a village or a town or 10 people, it's a lot easier to not have to demonstrate it. I, I actually made that mistake. So I made the mistake of thinking, hey, if it's a smaller setting, uh, you know, uh, the people will be more receptive to look at what you say and be encouraged to do their homework um, because people like puzzles. I was wrong. That's not the way it works. With the masses, it works. You're either coming out with puzzles or you're coming out with straight facts. And even if you have straight facts, if it's in any shape or form, Messing with the reality that they believe exists, it is already denounced at a 90% rate. So you can't get through. So the only way to get through is by riding that wave and saying, all right, take a look, just pulled their pants down. Huh? All they want, they've deployed everything and its mother. Control the media, control the people because you control the narrative. Whoever controls the narrative controls you. So the only way to flip the narrative on someone, right? The only way to flip the narrative on someone is by riding the, their narrative's wave and letting it crash and burn like nobody's business. Crash and burn. Crash and burn. That's the only way. You got to ride that wave. And like I said, the president has been riding this coronavirus wave from February like a boss. And he's going to come down off the wave as it crashes down on them like a boss and like walk off that surfboard of their lies. That's all you could do. So many, so many people within the movement of America first are flipping and switching tables. They are holding nothing back, nothing back. I'll tell you, did I, I, I don't know if I mentioned it. Was it yesterday? I think it was, whoa, I'm like losing the days. This is how busy I am because I'm putting my fingers in so many pies right now. It's, I don't even know how I do it. I'm just praying that, you know, everything will work. But the day that I deployed that article on McChrystal on Monday, that's it. That afternoon after my show, 
I was locked out of my own website, not locked out like my password, but my IP was banned from all servers. My IP. Are you paying attention? My IP. The IP I know (laughs) anybody can monitor. I've gotten a little bit savvier on being able to use uh, multiple platforms and, you know, imaged, um, uh, image computers within computers uh, a lot slicker. Uh, so I'll, I've noticed that if I uh, do what I need to do um, outside of the time of my show, it's a little bit tougher. But, um, you know... In any case, I just wanted to say, um, if I do it while I'm on my show, it seems like it's a lot easier. Yes, a lot easier. So it's full out war, man. We're like full out war. They don't want us talking. They don't want us showing. And, you know, this is why I've delayed on my article, too, because I'm putting up front. It's, it's really difficult to work when everything is fighting you. Everything is. And the thing is, you still have to do things, right? You still have to cook. You still have to do homeschool. You still have to pay bills. You still, you have, you still have to try to work, <laughs> right? Because with coronavirus, you're not really allowed to work, right? Right, You have to do all of this, but then you also have to make sure that you do your part in this war. All of us do. Oh, it's, it's, it's really, really annoying. You know, the only thing we can do is, um, pray and be vocal. We can only be vocal. Hmm. Listen to this. It should be the Losers Project, but do you guys remember when I mentioned the Lincoln Project? a while back. I, I think I met it and I mentioned it with SCOTUS gate. I, th- um, was it in February that I told you about that? So, uh, SCOTUS gate is, has started and it started around my birthday. Um, and, uh, like I said, it's going to be like Lincoln, but on steroids. Um, and the reason I said it is because SCOTUS gate is tied into this Lincoln project. Um, uh, and I'm trying to find, um, the specific tweet uh, that I had put out just so that you guys know on timing only because uh, that is um, when all of it went down. Uh, The discussions on how they were going to maneuver it. There we go. This will be Lincoln on steroids, February 11th. I'm retweeting that now. Mm. And you'll have to, you'll have to forgive me. Uh, as to why I couldn't um, elaborate on it, and I shouldn't elaborate yet. Uh, but you know, I always tell my listeners and you know everyone I converse with what I can because it's all about the timing, and it's not to spook off the others. I mean, <laughs> oh gosh, where's Brennan? So going back 
to what's happening because the only thing I want you guys, and you've heard me say this all week, is focus on you. Focus on what you're doing. Focus on how you're, uh, you know, taking in this information because they will stop at nothing. They're, they will win. They will trying to win. They are trying. They won't win. They will not win. But they are trying to win by any any means necessary. That means anything. You have to die, they'll do it. You have to cry, they'll do it. They will do anything to win. Think what has happened. I mean, you thought, you know, 2019, 2018, 2017 roller coaster, those were all preparations. Preparations to get you prepped and ready for what's going on. And you know, it's everything is politics. Everything is politics. They've politicized medicine. They've politicized your job. They've politicized your banking, your money, your food. Everything is politicized. Now they want to create a food shortage to push that impossible meat. I'm sorry. Just thinking about, I'm sorry. Whoever's into the impossible burger, totally impossible for me to get on board. Sorry. Uh, That's like one step away from Soylent Green. So it's really hard for a lot of people to believe that those that are elected and are sitting from their throne, looking at us down on us, those that we're, that, that are supposed to fear us are looking down at us have been making millions have been uh, taking care of generations of theirs to come financially and societally, meaning putting them in the right group of persons at the expense of us, at the expense of your child, at the expense of your grandchild, at the expense of everyone, including obviously our national security, but that is at our expense. And you have to think, how come all of them have, you know, their, 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 their mother, father, son, daughter, everything included in it. And someone might say, hold on, but president Trump has his daughters and kids. Yeah. He's got like a lot of kids and they're all politically motivated and it's one in the same, but see, they are active in that political reign. What is Paul Pelosi and Paul Pelosi jr. Doing? absolutely nothing in that comparison, right? They're not actively politically because they're busy doing all the banking and the financials for mommy, right? For, for, for the matriarch. Think about it. Look at what their spouses are doing. The ones that are elected and what they are doing, like Doug Burgum, he has his wife who's like, I was an addict. So now she's tapping into that area. Like I used to be an addict. I'm an advocate for this. I'm an advocate for that. And she's out doing that. In the meantime, what's Doug doing? Senator Hoven. He's, oh, I'm just busy with politics. But his wife runs all the other stuff. She's the one that buys stocks, sells, or he does it in her name, whatever. So this is how they operate. They have their appendages that are doing all their dirty work because they're not directly involved in politics. They're not directly involved in what they're doing. They're not directly involved. Think of it this way. Comey, where does he have his daughter placed? She's a U.S. attorney, New York, Southern District of New York, right? Pretty odd because it was... You know, the Southern District of New York that was going all after President Trump. Seems odd, right? 
you know, no one's heard what's happening on that front, have they? So it's, it's all very curious how they're all making money, how they're looking down on you when they should fear you. They should fear you because you are the one with the power, not them. And you know what? I love Chris. I mean, did you guys catch that clip that he put out yesterday uh, about, um, you know, what's going on and how, you know, he's like, I don't, I'm not promoting civil unrest because he has to be careful because someone might say it's civil unrest just from opening your eyes. But, you know, maybe, maybe he, you know, he heard a little bit of Tory says, who knows, and was motivated to do this. But listen to this, listen to what he told his audience. I'm not blaming the government tonight. I mean, if, if you're the government, if you're someone in government, it's just natural. You're going to want to exercise to see how much power can you inflict upon the people that you govern. Unfortunately, that's just how humans are. If you're the government, you, you want to find out just how obedient people will be. So I'm not really putting this at the feet of the government, which obviously is the easy thing to do. But what I want to do tonight is I want to talk and speak to our faith leaders Say, hey, guys, this is your time, guys and gals. You need to stand up for the God-given inalienable rights that are in our Constitution right now. I'm not asking you to go out and be disobedient to authority, okay? Let me be clear. This is an executive order. I know if I was saying, hey, go be disobedient to an executive order, you may come back at me with Romans 13 and say, hey, Chris, in Romans 13, it tells me I need to subject myself to government authority. That's fine. I get it. I understand that. What I'm saying, though, is you've got God-given inalienable rights that are in our U.S. Constitution, so use them. File a lawsuit. Stand up legally, peacefully for the rights that we've been given that many people have sacrificed their lives for. And I bring this up because that's exactly what happened in the state of Kansas. Some church leaders there filed a lawsuit to stand up for their God-given inalienable rights. And guess what? A U.S. federal judge in the District Court of Kansas ruled in their favor. He said, look, folks, if this executive order is going to prohibit your freedom to freely exercise your religion, they didn't get a stand in this district court. The federal judge basically said, you know what, essentially, hey, if you're going to go out there and you're going to allow people to have 10 or more people at secular places like a Walmart or a shopping mall or things of that nature, then, yeah, you absolutely can have 10 or more people. And again, social distance, but can have 10 or more people in places that are protected by the U.S. Constitution. I bring this up tonight because I know it's easy for us to forget maybe the power that you and I have in this country. But that's the beauty of America. You and I, folks, let me remind you, okay, it's important that we get reminded of this. We are not supposed to be afraid of our government. The government is supposed to fear us, we the people. Exactly. They're supposed to fear us. But there we have the policymakers that can't stop breaking coronavirus rules. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. One of the reasons that most of the Western world embraced unprecedented mass quarantines this spring was due to the work of a single man, a man you may have not have heard of. He's a British academic called Neil Ferguson. Ferguson is a professor at a college in London, but he's also something of an international celebrity. He is best known for his dire predictions about pandemics. Ferguson seemed especially panicked by the Wuhan coronavirus. At one point, he suggested the coronavirus might be comparable to the Spanish flu of 1918, the pandemic that killed up to 100 million people. On February 28th of this year, as the disease spread throughout Europe, Ferguson publicly endorsed the Chinese model of quarantine specifically. 
Now, keep in mind that as Ferguson spoke the words you're about to see, videos were circulating on the Internet showing police in Wuhan throwing screaming citizens into the back of panel trucks and driving them to some unspecified internment somewhere. Ferguson must have known that the Chinese government's response in Wuhan was extreme and utterly inhumane. He endorsed it anyway. That's how serious Neil Ferguson was about this virus. One has to adopt the sort of community measures which have been adopted particularly in places like Wuhan and China where you try to reduce contacts between people in the community. So the sorts of measures which are important are, first of all, if anybody has any sort of respiratory disease, cold, anything, stay at home until those symptoms are fully resolved. An expert, of course, telling us how we're supposed to be. Now, take a listen to the worst mayor ever. Mayor Bill de Blasio loaded up his SUV with government bodyguards and headed for the gym across town in Brooklyn. A government spokesman later explained the trip was necessary because de Blasio's gym, quote, has been a huge part of his and his family's life. Oh, okay, that makes sense. De Blasio likes his gym, so he kept going there despite telling you not to. Got it. Weeks later, de Blasio still couldn't stay out of Brooklyn for some reason. One day, he and his wife left their home in Manhattan, Gracie Mansion, and drove more than 10 miles to Prospect Park in Brooklyn for some sunshine and some fresh air. A stunned citizen happened to see the whole thing and videotaped it. Here's what happened. Seriously, you guys have a park. You live in the middle of a park. You don't need to not essentially travel to Brooklyn. Come on, guys. Come on, you won't even open roads for people of all backgrounds. I'm not going to give it a break. Like This, this is selfish behavior. This is the epitome of non-essential travel. Non-essential travel? What's that? When you make the rules, that's not even a category. Just ask Justin Trudeau, the preachy prime minister of Canada. On April 12th, Trudeau released a video commanding Canadians to stay in their homes for Easter. It's what Jesus would do, he declared. So as we reflect on Jesus's message of love and compassion, let's think about our healthcare workers and essential service workers who are on the front lines every day. Let's put into practice what it truly means to love our neighbors as ourselves by making sacrifices to protect their health. Let's stay home for them. That's the kind of quarantine Jesus endorses. Love means staying home. It does not. It means getting out, going to your loved ones, giving them kisses, and, you know, just focusing on you and no one else, right? And you don't have to stay indoors. And I'm not endorsing, you know, a riot. But, you know, do so sensibly within the bounds that we have and use the law. Don't overdo it. Don't go nuts. Use the law. That's basically it. Go out there take a walk, go shopping. You know, if, if it's your time, it's your time. If it's not, it's not. And let it be. The president isn't worried about traveling. Is he, you know, and he's elderly, right? Let's not forget he's over 65. So over 65 is vulnerable. And so he's still traveling. Uh, the mayor's still traveling. Obviously he knows something we don't. On that note, I want to wish you guys a fabulous evening. God bless from all of us here at Red State Talk Radio. I'll see you tomorrow, same time, same place.